0: Lesson 2.2.1 The First African American Poet, Lucy Terry. Part 3 Abijah's Lucy. Sometime about 1750, a new black presence made itself known in Deerfield. Abijah Prince, formerly servant to the Reverend Benjamin Doolittle of Norfield, Massachusetts, must have captured the attention of Deerfield's slave population because of his free status. Born about seventeen o six, Abijah was brought from Wallingford connecticut with the household of the Reverend mr Doolittle in seventeen seventeen. The Norfield pastor perhaps gave Abijah his freedom and some real estate rights before he died, for in seventeen fifty one Abijah Prince was cited as a proprietor of the fourth division of Norfield lands and owner of at least twenty acres. However, Northfield's town and proprietor records failed to fully confirm this. The 4th Division of Northfield Common Land was voted April ninth, 1753. The original record does not contain a last name, just Abijah, and no acreage for the lot, number 17, beside the name. Further, when the lots of this division are mapped, there is no space for this lot. Owners of lots 16 and 18 abut. Perhaps Abijah Prince never took up a claim, or this was part of the allowance to Abijah Hall of Norfield in the same division. Abijah Prince did receive a lot in the sixth division of common land number forty-seven, one acre and forty rods. This division was voted October ninth, seventeen eighty-one. The site today is on South Mountain Road, just east of Route sixty-three in Norfield, Massachusetts. Sheldon says Abijah held his Northfield property until 1782, although he does not seem to have been resident there after 1752. On December the 10th, 1785, the laborer Abijah Prince of Guilford, Vermont, sold this lot to Samuel Merriman for 20 shillings. This seems to be the sum total of Abijah's recorded property holdings here. Doolittle, a native of Wallingford, Connecticut, was a prominent family which might be expected to have had slaves. However, Abijah, as his property is not mentioned among Norfield slaves described in a historical sketch read by Deacon Phineas Field at a meeting of the Pocumtuck Valley Memorial Association, February 25, 1879, and only by name very briefly in the Norfield town history with which George Sheldon was directly involved. Benjamin Doolittle died suddenly on January 9, 1748 or 49, and evidently left no will. In the rather detailed inventory and settlement of his estate recorded at Northampton, Massachusetts, there is no mention of slave property. It has been suggested that Abijah was granted his freedom in recognition of military service. Although Massachusetts excluded blacks and Indians from the militia as early as 1656, there is ample evidence that Deerfield slaves did see military service in colonial New England wars. Sheldon even includes Abijah's name on a 1748-49 military roll, together with Sedati and Indian. It is no mere coincidence that the Reverend Jonathan Ashley of Deerfield preached an evening lecture sermon addressed to the blacks of his parish on January 23, 1749. Only 12 days before, the Deerfield clergyman had preached the funeral sermon for his colleague and fellow Yale alumnus, the Reverend Benjamin Doolittle. The unique situation enjoyed by Abijah cannot be escaped notice by blacks throughout the neighborhood, which in 1755 numbered 74 in Hampshire County, 56 males and 18 females. Taking as his text 1 Corinthians 7.22, For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also, he that is called, being free, is the servant." the pastor opened with a classic statement of spiritual equality. God has no respect of persons in the affair of, of our salvation. Whosoever will is invited to come and take of the waters of life freely. There are none of the human race too low and despicable for God to bestow salvation upon. Yea, it is the mean and base things of this world, which God is pleased to choose to eternal life, whilst the rich are sent empty away and the great and honorable are left to perish in their sin. He then proceeds in classic Puritan fashion to instruct his hearers in their appropriate understanding and interpretation of God's will. First, I will show that Christianity allows of the relation of master and servants. Secondly, I will show that such as are by divine providence placed in the state of servant are not excluded from salvation but may become the Lord's freemen. Thirdly, I shall show that a privilege and advantage it is to be a freeman in the Lord. Fourthly, I will give some direction to such as want to become the Lord's freemen. Fifthly, I will show what motives there are for such to be the Lord's freemen. The pastor spoke of believing servants and unbelieving masters, about Paul, Philemon, Onosimus, etc. What a temptation of the devil it is, therefore, to lead servants into sin, and provoke God, to insinuate into them they ought not to abide in ye place of servant, and so either forsake their master, or are uneasy, unfaithful, slothful servants, to the damage of masters and the dishonor of religion, the reproach of Christianity. The captive audience was cautioned finally. You must be contented with your state and condition in the world, and not murmur and complain of what God orders you, You must be faithful in the place God puts you, and not be eye servants. It is in vain to think to be Christ's freemen and be slothful servants. The minister probably went to his warm bed that night well satisfied with his performance, while his hearers found their way to cold garret or loft still puzzled. Why, they must have wondered, could Abijah come and go as he pleased, decided for himself what work he would do, and be able to play court to one of their number? the loquacious Lucy. What was it that allowed Abijah to do what they could not, and how could they become like him? Abijah persevered and prevailed. Abijah Prince and Lucy Terry's servant to Ebenezer Wells were married May seventeenth, 1756, by Elijah Williams. Lucy, it would thus appear, was still a slave upon her marriage. This was a situation George Sheldon suggests might have been to Ebenezer Wells' liking, who might have hoped to profit since the offspring of such a marriage followed the condition of the mother. However, in this instance, the children of Abijah and Lucy were free. Nor is there further reference to Lucy as servant or slave. That the union was performed by a justice rather than the pastor does not infer any censure on the part of the church. Marriage was viewed as a civil contract, the proper function of magistrate, and not of the minister or in colonial New England. Although the Reverend Jonathan Ashley solemnized a good many, civil marriages appear increasingly during the 1750s. Deerfield church records show the pastor performed only one marriage in 1756. Perhaps Ebenezer Wells granted Lucy manumission in recognition of a quarter century of faithful, if involuntary, servitude. Or maybe Abijah was her champion and the means of her emancipation. The couple set up housekeeping a little to the east of the village, on land owned by Ebenezer Wells at the eastern end of his property, part of Lot 26, purchased 39 years before. If Abijah was not possessed of land of his own, he gave it to his name. The nearby brook was long known as Bijah's Brook. Also nearby was Abijah's Hill, where Laurel Hill Cemetery was later laid out. Abijah Prince was industrious and carried accounts with several individuals and merchants of Deerfield, as revealed in the account book collections of the Pocumtuck Valley Memorial Association Library. Perhaps his wide-ranging activities involved securing his wife's freedom. Dealings with Elijah William between March and June 1756 included his purchase of mugs of cider, a knife, cloth, and a drum rim, for which he paid, and salmon. Following his marriage, Abijah paid Williams for sundries, a cake of soap, cloth, cheese, rice, rum, and brandy by working clearing land, carting hay, mowing, and ferrying. Abijah was employed by Deerfield's minister, Jonathan Ashley, cutting brush and wood, mowing and sugaring between February 1756 and November 1759. That Abijah was fully aware of political conditions of the world in which he lived is clearly indicated by the charge of Dr. Williams on October 31, 1765, recording five births, Tenpence entered on the books of the town the day before the Stamp Act went into effect when a tax on such official records was imposed. Abijah was about 50 years of age when he married a woman some 20 years his junior. This disparity may be explained at least in part by the disproportion between the sexes of New England's slave population. Of 2,674 Negro slaves of 16 years upwards in Massachusetts in 1755, the year before the marriage, 1,500 were males and only 855 were females. Negro males of marriageable age had almost no prospect of marrying within their age group. The union proved fruitful, for six children were born to Abijah and Lucy between 1757 and 1769, if Abijah was somewhat slow in his civil responsibilities, recording births of his children, he and Lucy attended to their spiritual obligations more punctually, and each of their children were baptized shortly after birth by Parson Jonathan Ashley. Caesar, born January fourteenth, seventeen fifty-seven, was baptized on February thirteenth, seventeen fifty-seven. Deroxa, born June first, 1, seventeen fifty-eight, was baptized on July thirtieth, seventeen fifty-eight. Drusilla, born August 7, 1760, was baptized on September 7, 1760. Festus, born January 12, 1763, was baptized on January 29, 1764. Tatnaya, a son, born September 2, 1765, was baptized on September 22, 1765. Anabesia, born June 12, 1769, was baptized on August 6, 1769. The names chosen reflect interest and allegiance to religion and the Bible, in which Lucy was said to be especially steadfast. Her knowledge of the Holy Scriptures was uncommonly great, and having a tenacious memory, she was able to recite large portions learned by heart over a 50-year period. Caesar has classical Roman origins, but figures in biblical literature. Drusilla was was the name of the wife of Felix Antonius, a freed slave, who as curator of Judea was responsible for the persecution of the Apostle Paul. Festus Porcius was procurator of Judea following Felix, and Tatnui, the name of the satrap or governor of the province west of the Euphrates in the time of Darius Hystaspes. Abijah was probably given to honor the child's father, but is also named of the son and successor of Rehoboam, and is to be found elsewhere in the Old Testament. Doroxa has not yet been identified as to origin. Although obituaries state that Lucy was the mother of seven children, no other offspring are on record. Prince was commonly known as Bija, and his wife went by the similar sobriquet Lucy Bija, indicative of their local notoriety. Theirs must have been a lively household and gathering place. A new generation of young people was attracted to Lucy's fireside where they were entertained with recitations, music, and poetry on the order of an adult literary circle. One or both of Lucy's daughters, Dorothea and Drusilla, may have inherited their mother's poetic talent. Drusilla, who was also a great singer, became disabled in a town charge in 1838 at Sunderland, Vermont. In 1850, the federal census listed her, age 88, blind, and a pauper who could not read or write, living with a family in Arlington, Vermont. She died November 21st. DeRox's talent may have been clouded by insanity. She died a few years previous to her mother. Festus, the second son, was inclined to festivity. He was a natural musician and could play upon any instrument, reminiscent perhaps of another parental example. His father purchased a drum rim of Elijah Williams in 1756. Abijah is said to have swapped a piece of land for an old horse, saddle and bridle, and a fiddle, with which goods he endowed his son. Both Caesar and Festus served in the American Revolution. Caesar marched with Connecticut River Valley troops twice under Captains Caleb and Moses Montague in the summer of 1777 and again in the fall of 1779 on northern expeditions of the 2nd Hampshire Regiment to reinforce the Continental Army. His total service amounted to two months and 25 days. Festus, aged 16, stature 5 feet 3 inches, enlisted in the Continental Army from Stockbridge, Massachusetts in the summer of 1779 and appears on other Stockbridge rolls in 1780 and 1781. He served at least five months at West Point, New York, and was reported with the Artillery Regiment and in the Horse Guard.